Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Yeah, well I know we'll have some folks jumping on here live And then some of you are watching after the fact And so that is excellent as well and so welcome as i said binge the bible breakdown season finale episode six we are covering the uh letters uh, that are all throughout the new testament many of them letters of paul and then also the book of revelation so the end so welcome glad that you're here with us and uh i'm pastor nathan pastor here at elk river lutheran who might you be jeremy hocus intern pastor welcome everybody yeah, and so we've been working through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we are reaching the end by the end of our time here this morning. And so if you've been hanging with us from the beginning, well done, good and faithful servants. If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, welcome to you. We are you know, uh, going to be going through this last part of the New Testament, but if you'd like to get more Bible background, you can go back to some of our previous videos and hear, uh, you know, starting with the book of Genesis, leading up to where we're at here today. And so... We're going to be diving into the New Testament following the Gospels, which is what we covered last week. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then also the book of Acts. And that's kind of where our story starts, I think, is the book of Acts. We alluded to this guy named Saul who has a conversion experience and becomes Paul. And he goes from being a persecutor of the church to being uh, like kind of the chief cheerleader for the church. And ends up uh, traveling around and writing a bunch of books of the Bible. So uh, those uh, books of the Bible were written as letters, and those letters, yeah, became books of the Bible. And so, oh, I've got my graphic here to show where we are at. Uh, here are the books of the New Testament, if you can kind of see there. We uh, covered the, some of them last time, and then look at that big pile of books that are left for today. Are we up right. for it? 21 books, I think, in the yeah, letters. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we got a lot of them to cover here today, and... We are going to start with Paul's letter to the Romans. So uh, Romans, like all these other letters, were written, you know, Paul wrote them as letters when he wasn't with them. Some of these cities, most of them he visited uh, multiple times, but uh, some, like Rome, we don't know that Paul ever got there, uh, but he had he says even in the letter, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing you in person, and in the meantime, Here's a little bit about faith and life and shares that. So, Right, and you know, one of the things to kind of note in this uh, Romans text is that uh, Paul is really wrestling with this who's in, who's out. And so this, you know, Jew versus Gentile, but also under the Roman rule and Roman occupancy. And Mm -hmm. so this kind of persecuted church with people fighting between themselves. um, Did you have that? graphic he threw up yeah i'll put it up here and um, then i'm gonna go sneak and close the curtains i didn't realize they're kind of bright sure. so 
tell us about this graphic right. game. And it's so a weird one. I love this kind of image in this graphic. It's really this um, idea of wrestling with faith, getting thrown off of a, a fast-moving current of life and history. Uh, but it's this idea that who is in the boat um, as we talk about what faith and life means. And so Paul is really wrestling with this question of uh, the individual Jewish believer, the individual Roman believer, um, but then also these kind of big questions of um, where are we going and how are we getting there? But they're also butting up against life and history and all these sort of other elements that really kind of mess with the story. Um, so it's a good kind of fun image to use. Uh, Paul is also using a kind of unique style of writing here. Um, he's using Greco-Roman um, modes of argument. And so if you get into Romans and it feels really confusing and like Paul's repeating himself all the time, um, Paul uses this, the rhetoric, if A is true, then B must also be. And he continues to kind of circle through this whole story. So you'll hear A, B several times because A, B then proves C, A, B, C proves D. Like, so it's yeah. a good thing if you're thinking about it is always think about what is the argument Paul is trying to make and then continue to kind of circle back to it. Yeah. Yeah. What else about Romans? So, so like, so we call it the Book of Romans. This is kind of elementary that many of you will probably know, but just just in case, just so we're all starting off on the same pages here, this is called the Book of Romans, or the letter to the Romans, because he was writing it to the church in Rome, and and, and that's what we will see through each of these. You know, the you know Corinthian letters are to the church of Corinth, the city, and so they're named after cities or, or, or areas that. Uh, he's writing to, and so and also there are some like Timothy and Titus that are written to the individual who's yes. entering into that city, mm-hmm. um, and so there's kind of some confusion about well, like who is this about? Yeah, um, I always say the best thing you can do is to simply kind of go through that intro, uh, grace and peace to you, I Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Like there's this sort of language that begins the letter, um, and kind of use yeah. that as your barometer for what's going to happen the rest of the story. Now there's a couple curveballs in there we'll get to as you move forward to. Yeah, yeah, but that really does, you know, you'll notice as you read through these letters that they are written like a letter. They, they start like letters, like, uh-huh. you know, dear so-and-so, how is it going? Hey, have you heard from such-and-such person? You know, right. I mean, there's really kind of, um, yeah, it, they're written like letters. Right, and I'm sending so-and-so on my behalf, but also there's the, you know... Um, Back, this is back before email, but, you know, when your parents would write you a letter, like, you know, quit doing this and change your behavior. Yes. And, you know, those types of things are also coming up in these letters, too. They're some reproof, but a lot of lifting up and kind of forward thinking for people. Yeah, kind of a funny combination of theological exegesis and describe, you know, theological points. And, like, this specific thing that your community is doing is bad, stop doing it. Right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it really right. blends the and so practical. you alluded to Acts right at the very beginning. Yeah. But So think about this church kind of discovering itself, figuring mm-hmm. out who they are. Um, and then you get, like, all of these other forces between, you know, Jewish believers who say, well, you know, Jesus may not be the person. We, we live by the Jewish uh, laws of Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, or you get people who come in completely false, who think they know Jesus and teach counter um, beliefs and practices against what Paul had been teaching them. Yeah. And so Paul has to kind of, you know, correct the course, steer the ship away from those. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Romans is a great example of this kind of theological conversation. Um, Romans 1, 16 and 17, it's good to point out that we as Lutherans 
Uh, Martin Luther himself really found his conversion of faith in that text. So uh, Romans 1, um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospels have this weight and then everything else is how we unpack and understand that. Yeah. Um, and so it's a good kind of thing, but there's a couple other conversion stories based on just that one text. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you know, and so the Book of Romans is full of all kinds of texts that you maybe have heard before that I think are are great that Luther wrestled with that I think we still, as people of faith, wrestle with. Um, there's a whole section, chapter six, talks about dying and rising with Christ, and talks a lot about baptism. Uh, and one of my favorite lines from there is, "What then shall we say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound?" By no means, right? Like this idea that, well, if God is full of grace, then maybe we should just keep sinning because it'll be fun and we'll get more grace. And, you know, and Paul and then Luther will point to that and say, no, 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 that's not the idea. <laughs> like right. that's not, that's an abuse of grace. And um, right. Or in Romans eight twenty eight, it's, you know, that verse, we know that in all, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Like getting at, you know, what, what does it mean when bad things happen? Like, is God always working for good? And, um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot in here. Right, and a lot of core tenets of our faith and belief are, mm -hmm. are really kind of wrestled with in this Romans text. Yeah. You know, for, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. Um, yeah. You know, we can't earn our way to God's grace and favor, but it's kind of this faith thing that leads us there. Yeah. And so there are some really good theological conversations in there, too, about... Well, what is Paul trying to say about the person of Jesus to these people who are really trying to wrestle with these questions? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on Romans? Because we could talk about it a lot. There's a lot there, but yep. we've got a lot of books left. I think one, you know, just very simple thing. Um, Romans is kind of Paul's way of saying um, humans don't get to decide the future. Yeah. But that God does. That it's in God's hands and that God's kind of understanding. And so we don't get the last say but it is god and that's going to come up at the end of revelation too sure um, and i'll bring that point back up for us yeah if we didn't mention it clearly enough we are getting into the book of revelation at the end of this time and yep. so get ready that'll be fun too yeah corinthians first yes and uh corinth a very greek city uh under roman uh control at the time paul is there and writing uh, but still a very greek city um and the Corinthians had issues. They were a dysfunctional church. They put the fun in dysfunctional um, in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, in all kinds of issues, including even um, some sexual immorality issues that Paul gets into a lot. And um, one of the things I remember learning about uh, the city of Corinth is they had uh, they were home to the temple of Aphrodite and there they actually kept sacred prostitutes like the, the sacred prostitution was a practice you know a cultural practice that was um, not, not ideal <laughs> it was you know it was really abusive it was um, you know it, it was as Paul would call it you know a perversion of what what human you know love and sacredness of our bodies is is all about and so uh, anyway so that's some of what's going on in Corinth and so if it seems like Paul is like really kind of getting into like sexual immorality stuff a lot in Corinth I mean that's part part of right. the reason why that there's a lot going on 
Yeah, and again, this comes up against the backdrop of false teachers. You know, which mm-hmm. which apostle is greater, Paul or Apollos? Like, yeah, people are wrestling with these questions, and that's not for Paul the point. Like, right? You know, it's sort of this steering the course to this relationship with Jesus. Um, and there's, I mean, even you know, the famous like, um, which gift is greater? The spiritual questions that they're mm-hmm. wrestling with as communities. Um, people speak in tongues, people interpret, but some are more valuable in their eyes versus others. And Paul says, well, we really can't do that. We don't know what the answer to that question is. Yeah. Uh, but what we say is that no great, no gift, great or small, is is small in the eyes of God. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about that in terms of this wrestling with um, living out the faith. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the Second Corinthians really kind of picks up Again, so I'm gonna. I know we're gonna talk about the love, famous. Uh, I'll go back to First Corinthians, the wedding yeah, story. Yeah. But um, eventually, Second Corinthians, Paul wrestles with people, basically saying, "Well, Paul's a fraud," um, yeah. and he has to say, "Wait a minute, that's not what this is about." And Paul gets kind of upset, and yeah. there's some kind of harsh language in Second Corinthians that's there. And Paul says, "Well, what we should be restored to is relationship with one another." So, mm-hmm. kind of God's beginning plan of creation. Yeah, and so I think what I appreciate about the way Paul does, there's a fair bit of finger-waving in in these letters to Corinthians um, because he's kind of, like, he thinks they're out of step. (laughs) But there's also just some really good and helpful instruction and teaching. Um, In in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have the instructions for Holy Communion. Like, how do you, you know, like, like, to come back to the sexual immorality stuff, there's all this like kind of finger waving about like you know about the sexual immorality you know elements of the body but then ironically Paul goes on to talk about bodies and you know the body of Christ in some really interesting ways that really shape so it's like that parts you know the sexual immorality starts the conversation and kind of shapes it but then he shifts into talking about well here's the body of Christ and here's what holy communion this you know, sacrament this practice should look like. He then in chapter 12 gets to spiritual gifts and talking about how we are one body with many members, right? That everyone has their own gifts, their own strengths, and that uh, that the body of Christ is not complete without everyone playing their own role. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the gift of love, that whole, you know, that's so often read at weddings that, you know, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You right. know, there's all this like beautiful teaching so that it's not just finger waving it's actually teaching a better way uh, that you know when you can live in community like this and lift up everyone's giftedness and celebrate and worship together life is good and that's what he wants for the people it's not it's not just a scolding it's a you know laying out of here's god's desire for you all in community i like that (laughs) yeah absolutely galatians yeah we're going to kind of fly. We get 21 gonna. to cover. Yep. Uh, Galatians really kind of looks at the who's in, who's out um, yeah. sort of questions. And really, it's a question for Jewish believers. Now, there's still this transition period of do we follow God of the Old Testament as we understand God? Yeah. Or do we understand Jesus, the person and this teaching that's been kind of taking root in these communities? Um, and so it yeah. really kind of lays up against that. Yeah, and just the really practical issues of, 
you know, and the book of Acts wrestles with it some too, is so Jesus is this Jewish rabbi who calls people to this life of faith. And so then the question that the early church wrestles with is, do you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Or can you skip that part and, and just and just get to that? And, and like that might seem like kind of a funny distinction, but you know, Jewish religious practice you know, had certain tenets that you had right. to attend to, you know, dietary restrictions being a big one, circumcision for males being a huge one, you know, you know, men who were converting to the Christian faith to be followers of Jesus, whether they had to have that surgery as adults, really, they were really curious about that. And so that's why the, you know, the New Testament talks so much about circumcision, um, is, is just one little, like, real physical element of the question can you go from being a Gentile, a per, like a you know, a, you know, follower of you know Jewish or not Jewish, but like a, of Greco-Roman kind of religious or no religious background? Can you go from that to being a Christian, or do you have to you know become Jewish first and then a, a Jesus Jew? You know, right. and and that was what they were wrestling with, and it had these real practical implications that they yeah, it was a question. Yeah, and it's this idea of just being justified by faith, not by the law. The law, yeah. the law holds us out against things, and we we would never be able to succeed. Yeah, um, and so this idea of being our faith justifies us, and it binds us into the resurrection of Christ. Um, and it's there's some really good theology in it, and really wonderful, you know, kind of text. Yeah, and that Galatians three twenty eight that you know really lifts up that there is no longer a Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, all of those different you know rich or poor, all those different distinctions that we would put between ourselves to separate us. The argument Paul makes is that you know Jesus came to tear those barriers down, and so anytime your church is about who's in and who's out, you're missing the point. Basically, Paul right. is saying, right? Yeah, Ephesians. On to Ephesus. Right. Um, it's really this kind of call for unity in the body of Christ. I think this you're starting to see this division take hold yep. of, between false teachers or who's in, who's out. Like these sort of things become continued conversation. Uh, and we're seeing that significantly in the book of Ephesus or Ephesians. Yeah. Um, in the town of Ephesus. And so I think there's this kind of um, unifying call by Paul that we are bound together um, and it forces us to deal with our issues with one another, but also our issues between each other that separate us from God. Yeah. Um, when we treat each other poorly, we're not living into God's kind of promised hope. Right. Um, and so there's these kind of unique challenges um, and really kind of naming the, the realities of slavery and things like that, where mm -hmm. slaves are essentially treated as subhuman. They're, they're unworthy of falling into that category. Yeah. And, and we're really beginning to see this wrestling with, well, being a slave doesn't bind you to slavery. Right. It means that we learn to be slaves to one another. And this is all of us. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, we care for, we lean in, and we love one another uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, it's also this, you know, Ephesians, it's 5-2, speak the truth in love. Um, mm. You know, how do we talk to and communicate with each other? It's a great kind of reminder for us as people of God. Yeah, it's also where we get Ephesians two eight, which is you know kind of a rallying cry of the Reformation in our Lutheran tradition. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. And right. so you know that's a touchstone kind of key verse, keystone verse for um, 
for our Lutheran tradition. Right. Better keep moving. We yep. got some books left. Philippians. We're going Philippians. to Philippi. Yes. Um, written kind of with a backdrop of uh, Roman persecution, new leaders, new kind of paradigm shifts. Um, and so the belief that Christians were just kind of doing their thing really goes to the wayside. Um, and we run into this kind of period of really persecuting the church. Um, and Paul is saying, well, how do we live in the face of persecution? Do we change our values or beliefs? No. We kind of hold true to who we are in the midst of that yeah. kind of situation and circumstance. Um, and again, this idea of slave language that we're sort of pulled out of bondage mm-hmm. um, and liberated in love. I think there's a great, you know, kind of a reminder for us there. Yeah. Um, and Paul is in, imprisoned in here as he's writing this. So the famous Philippians 4.13, everybody knows, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah. Comes up against the backdrop of, you know, um, I forget the start of that one. It's whether I have little or I have significant amount, yeah. you know, I am still kind of bound in that. Um, and it, Paul's writing that from the sense of imprisonment. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, and he's with Timothy at the time. That's there. They're in prison together. And um, you know, another one of my you know from the very beginning of this, like I, I really like. This is again coming back to the fact that these are letters. You know, one of the phrases he says at the beginning of this letter to the Philippians is, you know, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. You know, kind of getting at the fact that like. Paul really liked these people too and had traveled to see them before and longed to see them again and you know and is sitting in prison thinking man I wish I was hanging out in Philippi right now with all you good folks but yet you know continuing the work of staying in touch with them in the way that he could which was writing letters so yeah also Philippians 3 pressing towards the goal that's what we got to keep doing pressing towards the goal here (laughs) subtle yeah, uh, Colossians really, um, how do you hold your faith in despite a changing world? So when the world kind of uh, butts up against us as people of God, how do we hold that this faith that we've learned? Um, and so there's kind of unique spaces in that that kind of help us have that conversation too. Yeah. Um, and really to think about how does, how does this message permeate the whole of ourselves? How does it hold us to who God has called us to be as people. Yeah. And you'll notice we'll kind of keep speaking less and less about these books as we go through them, with the exception of Revelation, which we'll get to, yep. uh, because the books get shorter and shorter, and you know, and some are, are lifted up as, as uh, more influential in, in our traditions and, and theology, and, and, and a lot of that has to do just with their length, too. So, yeah. anyway, so we have less to say about some of these. But. Right doesn't mean that they're any less worthy of diving into so that's kind of the fun part until we get to james luther has thoughts on that yep (laughs) we'll get there but so yeah um so first and second uh thessalonians unless you had anything else on colossians nope we're good yeah so then yeah we get into the thessalonians yeah um it's really first thessalonians really kind of confronts the reality that um new christians are coming up against former religious leaders who mm-hmm. say, well, you're not living the way that you're supposed to because Jesus isn't the answer. Um, and so for new people fresh into this faith thing, they're having to, to identify themselves against a backdrop of persecution. Um, and so 
really this encouragement to respond to persecution with love. Um, boy, that's a hard one to kind of think about. Um, yeah. And really meeting opposition with grace and generosity rather than animosity. Um, and there's this kind of encouragement to these believers to kind of hold your faith, but hold it in a way that feels very counterculture to what you're receiving mm-hmm. um, and continue to do that. And then um, Second Thessalonians, really, Paul is uh, writing to kind of correct course. There have been some deviations and challenges, and Paul is kind of correcting that. Yeah. Um, those theological points to say, wait a minute, this is where you, this is where God has called us to be, yeah. um, and and holding the truths of Jesus against the corruption and kind of manipulation to make it more comfortable or palatable. Yeah. Yeah, it's also Second uh, Thessalonians. People had been wondering, had they missed the Messiah? Yeah, that's one note, one thing of note too. So. This perception that Jesus is coming had been told to them, um, and yet they're kind of floundering, going, well, did we miss it? Are we out? Like, yeah. what do we do? And Paul is really trying to say, you know, we don't know the day or the hour. And these reminders that, um, well, you're not out. It just hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, and so these big kind of questions they're wrestling with. Yeah. The Timothys? The Timothys, Yeah the new stuff yeah and again Timothy is returning to uh, to Ephesus Ephesians um, and really combating false teachers again um, you know people who corrupt the, the message and twist it to their own needs yeah it's um, kind of a lot of nuts and bolts kind of stuff here yeah. where it's like they're taking on specific issues yeah. right and the thing to note uh, Timothy these letters use some really abusive language to females mm-hmm. um, and I think I want to lift that up as a space of saying this is a good spot to remember Paul is speaking very directly to very certain issues Yeah. Um, and in this kind of situation some of those false teachers are actually female um, mm-hmm. and so we get these kind of weird things that as Christians we really have to kind of wrestle against and with yeah, and say well what do we do with this or how do we make meaning of what's happening um, it's a truth that we don't hold today you know it's one of those types of things right yeah I mean specific teachings about what women sh- should and shouldn't do what they right. should wear what they you know should they be allowed to speak right. um, and uh, you know and so it's yeah absolutely been used abusively it continues to be in, in certain traditions and um, and you know so if you go back to the you know our Lutheran tradition ELCA and, and predecessor bodies that made up the ELCA like wrestling with issues like women's ordination you know these texts had to be wrestled with and you know what what biblical scholars ultimately did was read those in the greater context of the life and teachings of Jesus, the rest of the New Testament, which, you know, in the book of Acts, where, where there are these female leaders, you know, of communities, and it was like, okay, well, what is the truer biblical witness? This handful of, like, specific verses to specific communities of Timothy, or this greater witness where it seemed that, you know, Jesus himself was lifting up the importance of women being at the table and involved. Right. Yeah. And even Paul, Paul sends yeah. his letters with females to deliver to these communities. So there's these kind of uh, corruptive nuances that really exist within there. And, and it's good to wrestle with those things. Yeah, because you, know? you can't just say, oh, well, you know, 
it's not in there. We just we just ignore it. It's like, well, we kind of just ignore it, but we do need to deal with the fact that it's there. Right. And uh, yeah, but but also then naming the, the spaces where the counter is true as well. And, yeah, and to say, oh, something has to be going on here in order for the other to be true as well. Yeah, um, and so what are those situations? What's the context? What's the the flavor and variety of the day of issues that they're facing yeah um, and how do we continue to address it and i think that's where you get into this kind of like reading and interpreting the bible is complicated and, and i think the folks who say it's not are, are just doing a disservice you know like the folks will say no the biblical is the the bible is the literal truth of god you just have to follow every word of it it doesn't acknowledge like you know the, the example of women's role in leadership is a good example of that where there's right these contradictory you know things that you just have to deal with and and face you know um even martin luther talked about how the bible is the cradle that holds christ but that there's some straw that he would have just assumed like be removed because it doesn't all fit together always right like some bits of it are, are harder to deal with and that's we'll get to james that was kind of one of his big pet peeves but yeah, but that it just um the bible wasn't written to be one you know perfectly you know in line document like it was written over hundreds and thousands of years and compiled to be a story of who god and god's people are correct and and that means that you know it doesn't line up perfectly but that the greater truth that it carries is there anyway that's that's a big stroke what were we talking about timothy (laughs) you got us there thanks yeah sorry (laughs) yeah rabbit holes that are important yeah. Uh, Titus, on the other hand, uh, Titus is written to um, bring a message in the gospel to Crete. Um, and so Crete being known for sort of its uh, licentiousness and kind of lavish lifestyle. And there's these challenges that exist in this story. And Titus is really called to raise up leaders within that. But he also has to name what makes a good leader. Um, yeah. And so there's these kind of interesting things about leadership in Titus's text. Um and really kind of force us to wrestle with those questions. Really, how does grace fit into all of those conversations? Um, and yeah. really law over gospel kind right. of things. So. Oh, the Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, and lazy gluttons. Yeah, yep. yeah there's, <laughs> there it is. You know, um, um, I like Crete. It's a nice place. Yeah. You know, Greek island. I mean, come on. You know. Right. Uh, yeah, anything else on Titus? Not really. Right Philemon. Away. Philemon. Now, you're, how much are you going to talk about Philemon this weekend? Because our text is from Philemon. Oh, into it. Yeah. Um, the basic thing about Philemon, it's really a, a slave that ran away. And, yeah. and Paul is appealing to him as a brother. So when he said, uh, slaves no longer have this role of being unworthy or subservient, um, this is the challenge that comes out of this text. is to yeah. say, well, treat him as a brother like a brother should be. Right. And somebody who's one and united in the body of Christ with us. Yeah, exactly. So you go back to when Paul says there's no longer slave or free, you know, we hear that and it's like, oh, that's a nice concept. Like he's saying that into a context where slavery, like the economy is built on slavery, you know, like slavery is the way of things. Like, you know, I can't remember the exact percent. I mean, it's like at least half of the population is slaves. You know, Um, it's a lot, a lot of people. And so, this is kind of where the rubber hits the road because yeah paul has met this slave you know runaway slave and is sending him back to his master with this letter saying let him go like if you're going to be a person of faith 
you, you can't keep this slave. Like, he, he right. needs to be set free. And there's a transaction there that Paul says, well, if, if yeah. anything is owed to you because of, of Onesimus, is his name, yeah. um, charge it to me. I'll mm-hmm. take on the, the burden of my brother, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's this beautiful text. So you'll hear yeah. a little bit more about this on Sunday. Yeah. So shameless plug for joining us for worship. Yeah, show up Sunday morning. Hebrews, um, most likely not a letter. This is one of those curveballs that's in here. Yeah. Uh, But more likely it doesn't have the facets of a letter like you see in most of the other texts, uh, but comes out as as an audible speech. So that Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way got written down. since it's kind of important to note, like, people's enthusiasm for following the gospel of Jesus is really fading against the backdrop of persecution. And so there's yeah. kind of nuances and encouragement, um, and Paul is, it's not Paul, the writer. I have to yep, yep, we're out of the letters of Paul. Yep. This is the, the, the bridge where the yep. other letters come from. And really just this word of encouragement um, you know, to kind of hold faith and the faith that you hold is the faith passed on from the beginning of creation to now. And so there's consistency in God's story and you're part of that consistency. Um, and so losing the faith is really kind of this challenge of how do we deal with this? Um, yeah. It's a great text to kind of lean into. Yeah, you know, it's where we get this definition of faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And it uh, goes in and ties it all back to the, the faith of uh, ancestors, going back to Abraham, and uses these examples that, you know, faith you know, through Moses and leading to the life and example of Jesus. is right. And Jesus' death on the cross fulfills the promises of yeah. of God in the Old Testament. Yeah. So. It's good stuff in Hebrews. Beloved James. <laughs> like I said, that was some warmth. Yeah. Um, so Luther hated the book of James um, because he felt like it just, so much of it ran contradictory to everything else he just read. If you're reading through the New Testament, right. um, you know, it's where you get that line faith without works is dead um which you know i think you can put a pretty positive spin on that idea that faith is meant to be lived out um but when it's lifted up it goes against that you know well that whole idea of grace because it is like well no 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 you got to keep doing these things to stay in god's good grace and it's like well that's not grace if it's you know if Santa only brings you a gift if you're good, that's not grace. Like that, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how this is treated. Right. And James 1 22, be doers of the word, not simply hearers who aren't being honest with themselves. There's this kind of counter thing yeah. of you have to do in order to be. Yeah. Um, and Luther has a little bit of a gripe about, you know, faith is the thing that we receive, not the thing that we earn. Right. Um, and so there's this kind of interesting things that happens in there. And he does it through telling the stories about wealth and privilege versus mm-hmm. lack of wealth. Yeah. Um, and who is welcomed at the table. Well, it's really anybody. Um, yeah, and so, of course, the flip side of that is, you know, I, I think it goes back to that line, you know, that we shared earlier that, like, well, if you just have grace, then you just keep sinning and, you know, you don't have to help the poor. You don't have to love your neighbor because grace, baby, you'll cover it all. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that that's the downside of saying, like, you know, well, let's get rid of the book of James or get rid of these ideas of like the Ten Commandments. Who needs them? You know, we don't need them to get to heaven, so who needs them? Well, 
we need them, our neighbors need them, you know, we need to care for each other and treat each other well. And so um, that's where even, you know, even Luther, who would say James is, is the place to probably base your faith, right. there's still some truth that's revealed in this book and throughout right. the Bible that, you know, is important. Right. Yeah. The Peters, First and Second Peter. Yes. Um, it begins with a message of hope to persecuted Christians. So people who had been facing adversity and trial. Um, and it really kind of names it in, in light of history of God's people. Um, yeah. God's people are always sort of floated to the margins. They're always left to the outside. Um, and yet this word of, of hope and kind of challenge in the midst of that is to say, God has been faithful from the beginning and continues to be faithful to God's people. Yeah. Um, and guess what? You're God's people. Um, I think yeah. there's this kind of beautiful ways that that's approached. Yeah, kind of the notion of the priesthood of all believers kind of being there. That, you know, even this idea that, yeah, there may be religious leaders, there may be pastors, but actually you're all a part of this priesthood of all believers. That every follower of Jesus is is a priest and to be an example and uh, teacher of the faith. Right. Yeah. One, two, three, John. John's. Um, a series of letter letters that follow the gospel of John. So there's a connection in a lot of the language and kind of approach to those texts. Um, and they're really um, addressing people who were out to deceive people about Jesus, um, whose kind of intention was malicious. Um, and so it runs up against these kind of backdrops of the story. Yeah. And yeah. so very much teaching kind of texts, you know, yeah. um, talking about love and light. And they sound pretty Jesus-y, you yeah. know. Uh, whereas I feel like Paul's kind of whole thing sounds pretty different than the than the Gospels and even the voice of Jesus, you know. He's talking about Jesus. John sounds more like, like how Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, um, and the idea of keeping the faith, being rooted in the gospel, knowing where your truths lie. Um, yeah. Kind of become a central part of that text. Jude. Hey, Jude. <laughs> yeah. We're flying through. I, I turned the page and missed it. Um, yeah. Because it is two pages in my Bible. No, one and a half. Um, anything on Jude? Um, I mean, it's just a really short little, little letter. Yeah, again going up against false teachers. I mm -hmm. think it's the kind of the fundamental truth of that. Um, written by Judah, and so we get Jude. Yeah. Let's take all of that with a little bit of kind of wonder. You know, yeah. We don't really know fully, but um, and this idea of staying watchful, staying mindful, continuing to pray and lift up these kind of faith elements in, in yes. all of this. Well, we had wanted to leave a good bit of time to talk about the book of Revelation which is the last book of the Bible here. I'll throw up our uh, image of these books of the Bible. We get to Revelation, which in this little graphic you see is kind of tipped sideways. That's probably appropriate. Because um, uh, uh, Revelation is probably one of the most publicly, uh, culturally uh, talked about books of the Bible and I dare say uh, misunderstood and mistaught and abused books of the Bible. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's probably the place to start and um we could do a whole day or a whole series on on the book of revelation and and not really cover it at all and you know including getting into the cultural ideas that 
you know, have so permeated, I think, just popular culture like this idea of the rapture, which has nothing to do with the book of Revelation and doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible. Like, um, the idea of the rapture was created by a British preacher, you know, back in the 19, uh, 19th century, like, pretty pretty recent and by piecing together all these different kind of random verses of the bible and saying that this thing was going to happen and you have to really read the bible in a creative way to get to that point you know and um and so that's like one kind of thing and i I maybe will mention this book off the top uh Barbara Rossing is a is a professor who has this book, The Rapture Exposed, where she really I think does a great job of you know pulling out the message of hope that is in the book of Revelation, including then has a whole chapter that just breaks down like where did this idea of the rapture come from and where does it go? If you don't know, the rapture is this idea that Jesus is gonna come back and take all the all the best people to heaven, but then he's going to kind of hang above the clouds for seven years while really bad things happen. And at the end of that time, everyone else who's left, who's really good, then they, they all get to come too, um, while the while the world kind of burns in, in hell. And um, it's creative, uh, you know, and the whole Left Behind book series is kind of based off this idea. And, and the problem is there's these little kernels of, of biblical you know, teaching that are a part of it, but um, it's really strung together in a weird way that, uh, again, if you just read the book of Revelation, you won't find that idea. Like, you right. you, you have to connect a lot of dots in order to get there. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it has, um, so I think it's important to kind of note, apocalyptic storytelling, which is what this Revelation yeah. text is, is very common. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, from um, Aristotle to... Uh, Plato, all of these types of like, yeah, we tell these grandiose stories. Well, why? I think that's the great question, mm-hmm. and mostly because if you're all if you're only hearing a story, you want the juicy bits. Like you want to be able to hold on to these things and go, okay, what's this about? Like, yeah, you know, and it draws you in. I, Revelation is the place where I really got I fell in love with scripture. I think sure. because I wanted to know. Like, I, my Bible is just full of notes and scratches and colors and yeah. Because it was so confusing. Yeah. But I think it also comes up against this, like, what is the grander story of Scripture? Yeah. Um, and how does this kind of thread the needle to what we ultimately get at the end of Revelation? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's just kind of these interesting components to know. Historically, it's so rooted in tradition of the time. Yeah. And that's what people would have been looking for and, and wanting to know. Yeah, and that's, I I will say, so I'm really dismissive of the notion of this kind of left-behind rapture-focused interpretation of Revelation and the Bible in general, because I just, I think it it isn't a true and faithful interpretation. That said, I think the book of Revelation is great and full of some really beautiful imagery and truths. It's also full of a lot of weird stuff that we just don't understand. You know, when I teach confirmation kids about Revelation, I always even say that it's practically written in code. Like, I think a lot of people have thought that, you know, John, who wrote it while he was kind of in prison on this island of Padmos, like, you know, probably was using some coded language to, to get the word out there because the church was being persecuted. And so there is this sense that some of it is just this apocalyptic tradition where people like told these wild tales to get some truths across and yet some of it maybe it is written in code and stuff i think whatever the message is 
there are parts that we just don't know what they mean. Like, it doesn't really fully make sense. There's these connections to other cities and churches and different places that it doesn't make full sense. So I always just say that, you know, if you ever come across a teacher who's telling you exactly, a preacher, or pastor, whatever, telling you that they know exactly what the book of Revelation is saying, be very wary. <laughs> um, because, you know, there is some weird stuff in there, um, some really kind of cool exciting stuff but there's also some really beautiful deep truths that are not complicated or coded or anything and that's where i think maybe end with some of those passages that i'd like to share that i think really are the foundation of revelation and really beautiful and and not so confusing but even just on the surface level that there's beautiful interpretations of where the world is going right you know and i think one of the truths is naming right out of the gate the first thing that we hear is the seven lampstands what, sure. Light light posts. Yeah. Um, and then you what follows that are seven descriptions of congregations. Yeah. Um, so communities bear light. You mm-hmm. know this kind of image. Um, yeah. And then coming up against the what's going on. So think all the letters landing in this first little bit here. Yeah. And it's you know anything from assimilation to being complacent about their faith to mm-hmm. being lukewarm. Um, it addresses some key things within those cities. And then we get these weird apocalyptic, you know, the dragons and the head of horses and the four horsemen of the apocalypse kind of things. Yeah. Um, But we get, what we get is these sort of very indicative moments of reality for community. Um, And and this kind of needs to be addressed. And if you keep heading down this path, this is what happens to us. Yeah. Um, And so there are some very good nuggets of truth, um, even in that beginning section, Mm -hmm. um, naming kind of what's been happening. Um, and there's you know references to Daniel and Ezekiel and like all of these kind of beautiful things that yeah. also fall in those things too. Um, so there's a lot of Old Testament tied into New. Yeah. Um, you know I don't think we mentioned it. It's one of the most sung books of the Bible. Yeah. So we even liturgical sing, language. Right. The Hymns. holy, holy, holies on Sunday. That's straight out of Revelation. Yeah. Um, now how it was sung. That's kind of unique. Yeah. Um, but all of those things change the community from passive participants to active. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to you have to actually join in the chorus in order to be a part of this. Yeah. Um, and so there are some kind of fun things that happen there. Uh, you know, we didn't really mention so revelation. Um, you know, it comes from the term. Uh, you know, it's apocalypse. Um, which apocalypse, I think we hear in, in like the context of the end of the world, but apocalypse literally just means unveiling, like you picture like opening a curtain and like looking behind what's, who's the man behind the curtain, <laughs> like Wizard of Oz. Like that's what the apocalypse is, is the unveiling or, you know, revelation is, is that's the word, you know, like when something is revealed to you, um, I mean, that's where the word apocalypse comes from, too. So even that title is, is misleading what we our cultural definition of it. Um, that when we're talking about the apocalypse, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. It, it's, a, it's a revealing. And, um, and so that's, you know, the book's meant to be an, a revealing, a, a opening up. Right. And it's interesting, like... Um this idea of revealing we reveal in community what's been happening mm-hmm. um, and then there's these there's the image of the seven seals mm-hmm. which I find fascinating yeah um, because it is Old Testament moving forward you know the first one being how secure are you 
uh, what's your safety net? Sure. Um, and then thinking about how to, you know, the idea of sin enters the story, how violence uh, permeates our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as each of these are open, it exposes the truth of some of these stories. Yeah. Um, and we begin to see, oh, yeah, that's what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, financially, you got what it takes or you're going to be a slave in Babylon. Yeah. Um, you know, death, martyrdom, those persecuted by faith, like, you know, Pauline letters, um, the destruction of creation is the sixth seal. And then we never hear that the seventh seal is opened. Um, yeah. And it's really God holding back from the final destruction. Yeah. Counter to all these apocalyptic left behind rapture stories. Yeah. Uh, destruction isn't the end. Right. Um, and really it's kind of moves into this idea of a new creation that comes comes out of those relationships. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think, that's, I thought even kind of draws to a close with that. Are there any other parts that you'd want? This new heaven and the new earth. That's a section I was going to read a little bit of. Yeah. Um, because ironically, you know, the, the Bible actually doesn't talk a lot about heaven, like this idea of the afterlife that is such a foundational part of our faith. It doesn't give a lot of details. The book of Revelation is probably the closest it gets where it goes into some detail of what what is after this. And, um, and what you see is, you know, when you read Revelation to the end, at, at the beginning you get, yeah, dragons with multiple heads and horns and, and like a lot of kind of odd, scary imagery. And yet then you get to the end of it and and the, the descriptions that are given, you know, it, it could even just be interpreted as like, yeah, there's a lot of hardship and challenges and pain and violence and suffering in this world, but ultimately... God's desire and God's plan for the earth, the the end of those things, is is very different than than violence and fear and you know people being harmed. Because here's what it says, like in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne will say, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift for the spring of the water of life. Um, I mean... It, it's an end of the world that's not the end of the world it's it's a new creation here on earth so it's not god burning it all down it's god you know pouring out this new creation exactly where we are that heaven isn't like up in the clouds heaven is is actually here and coming among us it's important to note like is your is reading that to think about the way those uh, verbs are done it's they're acting mm-hmm. not acted right um, and so that God's story is still a continuation mm-hmm. um, and so we kind of see those things lifted up 
this idea that God's promise, I think mm-hmm. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the sort of yep. uh, beginning of the text is really kind of carried forward. Um, and it's not completed, but continued forward. Yeah. Um, and I also love the fact that, you know, how the text ends. Um, yeah. It's not humans who have the final word, but it's it's this idea of um, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Like, yeah. let it be so. Yeah. Um, and so this new heaven, this new moment is still kind of that next story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the whole part of the the danger in the in this kind of rapture kind of theology too is that it pulls in some of this imagery and says that some of these certain things have to happen and so you get you know evangelical christians involved in israel and like current israeli politics like to try to bring about building a new temple trying to make these things happen so that Israel can be destroyed and the good Christians can go to heaven. I mean, it, it's kind of a crazy, like, and scary, like, reality in our geopolitical world of today to let that kind of theology shape, like, life for right. real, actual people. When really, then, instead, God's describing, you know, a new creation that is one that's giving life. You know, the river of life that's described in chapter 22 is this. You know, beautiful river that flows where there's trees growing that provide fruit all year round and that the leaves on the trees are healing for the nation so the notion that it's god's dream for certain a certain nation to rise and other nations to be crushed whether that's america or israel or what is i mean that's not you know, there's a lot of confusing stuff in this book, but this part's pretty straightforward. That God is about, you know, bringing a river of life that produces these trees whose leaves are healing for the nations. Not war and violence and more fighting, but healing. Right. I mean, that's good stuff. Right. And if you only dwell in the first half, you miss the good points of the yeah, second half. Exactly. Or if you see these, the second half is unreal, you know, un, mm-hmm. unattainable. Yeah. Then we sort of miss this kind of message that God is still at work now. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are just some fascinating ways to kind of think about and reflect on how does this story fit the whole of creation, this whole story, the whole narrative of God. Yeah. Um, and if you look at it, we would get lost if we just stuck into the doom and gloom. Um, and even, you know, very early in this pandemic, people were using this idea of coronavirus as one of the seals of destruction. Yeah. I mean, we people had interpreted this as sort of the next phase of this revelation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a word of caution in how you interpret these texts. Yeah. And, you know, because I think we can say, okay, well, maybe, but how would we know? And how would that change how we live here and now? <laughs> and, yeah, ultimately I think God's movement in this world is a movement for life and creation, making all things new, and we're experiencing that here and now, and that's where the world comes not to an end but to just a continued new beginning right yeah. and, and god is in the business of recreating not ending mm-hmm. creation and yeah continuing to think about the new life we see all around us that might sound like a nuance but it's a pretty big difference right and i think that's kind of that the, what is the faithful way we witness the scripture as a whole yeah um and so i'm hoping that you've been able to see some of these very common yeah. continual threads um, and how they play out in the whole of Scripture rather than this sort of compartmentalized approach that we often have as, as um, churches and communities of faith. Absolutely. 
And so like you said, it wraps up. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Pleading table grace. Uh, And the grace of our Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Yeah, we we reached the end of the Bible. And so thanks for coming with us on this journey, especially today. Holy cow, we made it. Genesis to Revelation, six weeks. Thanks for sticking with us. Yes. Yeah, we'll see you Sunday. Until then, take care, y'all. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.